Welcome everyone. Glad you guys can make it to New Life today. If you guys would, go ahead and find a seat. That will make, uh, that will make our transition a little easier. I want to say hello to all of you that are worshiping with us uh, down in the venue. Uh, thank you for coming today. I want to thank you for those of you that are worshiping with us all the way out in North Platte. It was a joy to be with you guys last week. I was able to worship out in North Platte. What a wonderful spirit of God. Uh, what an incredible miracle God is doing out there. And so keep being God's people on the ground in North Platte. Keep inviting friends. And let's keep growing this church both here in Kearney and in North Platte as God leads us. Amen? Amen. Right on. That's, uh, that's a joy. My name's Jeff Baker. I'm one of the pastors on staff. At New Life, we've got a number of pastors. And we all function as a team together, trying to sense what God's saying and then lead in that direction. We all have unique roles that we do. And one of my roles is that I get to be the, uh, I get to be the primary communicator. And so today, you, uh, you get to listen to me. Last week, uh, we had, our, um, had one of our high school, college, young adult pastors. Uh, Pastor Nate was up last week. And I think that the guy knocked the ball out of the park, man. Wow. Knocked the ball out of the park. I was sitting in North Platte just going, I could have listened to that for much longer. Um, we, should, we should increase the length of our services. Let's take a vote right now. Who wants to have three-hour services? All, all in favor say aye. aye. Opposed, no. no. That's what I thought. <clears throat> all right. So, <laughs> hey, people were just honest there. That was just honesty right there. All right, that's good. That's good. That's what we want. Hey, listen, in this I Am Second series, we are really looking at how can Christ be first and we live as second. Now, that's a big challenge, guys, because in our human instinct is to be first. Our human instinct is to jump in there and control and to take charge, right? Does anyone else like Jeff Baker? All right, because that's what, that's what I like to do. Um, many times, that's where I'm at. Now, Many times, though, I try to, you try to get the timing of life right, you try to control things just right, but sometimes it's just out of whack. Have you ever gone to eat at a restaurant before, and you're looking through the menu, and the waitress comes by a couple of times, and she keeps asking you very, you know, nicely, what do you want? And then all of a sudden, you notice this item on the appetizer list, and you're like, you know what, I don't normally order appetizers, but I'm ordering this appetizer. It looks amazing. So you order the appetizer, and then you order your meals. Now, the appetizer is supposed to come out before the meal. But have you ever had that moment when they had it all screwed up in the kitchen, your appetizer came out with your meal? Isn't that a bummer? Like this special moment, the timing of the meal just gets thrown out of whack and it's out of your control. You ever have that, you ever have one of those moments when you're driving and you're looking down the road and you can see all of these street lights or you know you've got a number of traffic lights that you got to go through and you offer up that silent prayer to God, right? God, please let them all be green. But then when as you're driving, you get light after light, red, red, red. Are, are you like me? Do, do you just want to like pull over and do something you shouldn't do at that moment? Probably. You know, I mean, that's timing. It's out of control. It's out of whack. You don't have anything to do with it. You can't control it. It's just happening, right? It's out of your control. What about a moment? Have you ever traveled like with a large group of people before someplace? We just had our legacy group uh, at New Life. They just went to Branson. Any legacy people went to Branson? <clears throat> Good. That's awesome. At least they're here. Like, you guys got in late or something like that. I don't really know. But, um, yeah, they just went to Branson. But have you ever traveled with a group before and you're one of those people that you would hop on the bus 15 minutes before you need to go someplace, but you've got the other people that they're always a 10-minute late to the bus people? Oh, it's never happened for you? Oh, 
or you're not wanting to nudge the person next to you. I got that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, I mean, it's, the timing gets whacked out, right? It's out of control. It's nothing that you can, there's nothing you can do with it. You're stuck in the moment. You know, timing, it's important. It's massively important. And when it gets whacked out, people can see it. They can hear it. Like, if you've ever gone to, like, a grade school orchestra or band presentation, as an example. I'm, I'm pro-band, okay? Because, I mean, I play saxophone. I played in there. But you got all the woodwinds, and they're all going one direction. And then out of the blue comes, like, the third trumpet out of, like, fourth grade. Burp! You know, it's like that. It's just out of the blue, not where it was meant. And then they quietly put their horn back down. And then they realize, oh, that was supposed to come three measures from now. But, I mean, sometimes when timing is out of control, wow, it just stands out. And at other times, like a moment, like right now, the timing, it's out of your control. There's nothing you can do about it. Like when a pastor preaches too long and he messes up your lunch plans. Right? It's out of your control. Nothing you can do about it. Today might be the day you were like, I'm going to make an extra special dedication to God, and I'm going to sit... I'm going to sit up close to the front because I'm just wanting to make that commitment. And today, if we go long, that might be the last time you sit there. Because you're like, I want to, maybe I want to be closer to the door. God, that's what you're saying to me. Be more flexible in life. I'm too rigid. There's times when your timing is off, when things are out of your control. Sometimes it's frivolous, like the things I mentioned. Other times, it can radically transform the way that you think, the way that you live. And especially when you think God's timing is out. Or when you think that God has lost control. What do you do when life feels like that? When maybe in your words, you know, God was too late in answering my prayer. I offered up the prayer, God. I offered it up. I offered it up. But it's like you never showed up with the answer. Or or how do you handle situations when maybe these are your words? You know, when God was not there to protect the person that I really loved. And harm came to them. God, where were you at? You weren't in control. Your timing seems to be off sync with with what's going on or maybe these are your words when god didn't provide during our financial crisis where was your timing at you knew that we were losing the house yeah you knew that we couldn't afford, we couldn't pay for this you knew that we were deep in debt and that we were gonna have to file bankruptcy or we were gonna have to do some radical things or that we we now were strapped for cash god you knew that where were you at? Where was, where, how come you didn't interject into the timing of my life? And where were you at? You didn't see, it's like as if you're not even in control. Or maybe these are your words. When God didn't answer your prayer for healing someone that you loved and they died. You're like, God. I mean, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And you just went ahead and you let that person die. Where are you at? You're not in control. Your timing isn't right. You know, what, what happens? Uh, typically what happens is that from a humanistic perspective, that's when we want to step in and we want to take first place. And we go, well, if you're not going to control it, I'm going to control it. And if your timing is going to be off, I'm going to fix the timing. As if time is for us to manage. Time isn't for us to manage. We don't manage time. We have a schedule that we manage, but we don't manage time. God's the initiator of time. The Bible refers to God as the Alpha. He is the beginning, the initiator of time. And He is the Omega. He is the ending of time. There's just going to be moments in life where it seems as if God's timing and God's agenda is often left field compared to where yours is. Our wrestle today is to figure out how to stop asking God to let, to have Him fall behind us and let our timing lead 
Our agenda today is to figure out how to let God and his timing and his plan become first and us find contentment behind him. Now, there was a story in John chapter 11 with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They, they wrestled with this understanding of God's timing and God's agenda over their timing and their agenda. And it's a very interesting story. We're going to dig into it today to figure out how we can live as second. But for you to understand the story a little better, we're going to have one of our, uh, one of our people from our drama team you know, help you see this passage of Scripture in John chapter 11 from the perspective of one of the sisters. So why don't you listen to John chapter 11 from the perspective of Martha. The whole town seemed to mourn. But I think it hit me and my sister more than most. Not just because our brother was gone, but because the one person who could have saved him never came. We didn't understand. He had healed so many. Why not my brother? Why not his friend? Four days later, he came. I don't know why he was coming now. Our brother was already dead. He'd missed it. I ran up to him and I asked him, hurt and confused, angry and pained, why didn't you come, I cried. You could have healed him. I don't know whether I believed or just hoped with with some wild and desperate hope, but something glimmered in the back of my mind. I had seen the lame walk, the blind see, the sick healed, all at the command of his word. Tears began to fill my eyes His too became wet. Tears fell down both our faces. Jesus, I said, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Trust me, he said. I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, I wanted to trust him. But my brother wasn't just sick. He was dead. Then, Jesus began to walk towards the tomb. His tears falling to the dust and the ground as he walked. Open the tomb, he commanded. Well, I hesitated. Uh, My brother was long gone now, full of stink and rot. I told you to trust me, he said, looking down into my wet eyes. We opened the tomb. 
Lazarus was dead. The stench filled our noses. I wept even more. Then Jesus prayed. And he shouted, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) And he did. He came out. My dead brother, my dead brother was alive. And not just alive, but walking, his burial clothes still hanging from his now living flesh. Some may call me crazy for believing in a God who can't be seen, for believing in a Savior who was nailed to a cross, a Messiah who died a criminal's death. But I believe because I saw death itself conquered by the Son of God, this man named Jesus. I am Martha, and I am second. All right, so if you want to be content living as second and Jesus being first in your life, out of, out of this passage in John chapter 11, one of the things that I want to drive home for you today is to help you understand that God's timing is perfect. In fact, God's timing is always perfect. So to dig in for a moment in the story, what, what happens? Lazarus, right, is sick, and, G- and Jesus is called for from Mary and Martha, right? But Jesus decides he's not going to come immediately. Take a look at what Jesus does in verse, verse 4. It says that when he, Jesus, when he heard this, meaning the response from the sisters, Jesus, come now, my, my brother is getting ready, to, he's sick, he's going to die, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, um, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. <clears throat> Jesus, pay attention to verse, chapter five, or verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was. How many more days? Two more days. Now, there's something about this story that I think we just need to be honest about for a moment. Lazarus' sickness caused him to what? Die. So Lazarus dies. What does Jesus say about the sickness, though? Jesus says, this sickness is not going to end in death. (laughs) Well, he died. So what's going on here? What's happening here? There's evidently a different definition from the heart of God when when it refers to death than it is for the heart of man. There's a different definition of timing as well that's being stirred here. You can see why, um, you know, Martha and Mary are upset. They're distraught. They they might even have a little anger, you know, building up inside of them at the fact that Jesus, you just didn't come. You didn't come when we asked you to come. Can't believe that. You know, you, you say you love us, but yet you don't even come. And now our brother, he is dead. Now, in the story, when Jesus does finally come, some interesting dynamics take place. And in verse 20, it talks a bit bit about this. But when when Jesus finally does come and he's late in coming, one of the two sisters doesn't even want to go out and see him. Mary, being the sister, who doesn't even want to go out and see Jesus. 
And, but this is the woman. If you know some about the Bible today, and if you don't, that's okay. Stick around New Life. We'll help you grow in your knowledge of the Bible and the knowledge of God's Word. But this is the same woman who took the alabaster jar of perfume and poured it out on Jesus' feet and washed his dirty feet with her own hair. And so many people were distraught about that act because she wasted what was referred to as potentially a year's wages, wasting it on Jesus' feet, washing his feet with this incredible heart of worship. This is the woman that at one point is willing to give up all of that and worship him, but then when the timing isn't right, she stays in her house and she would rather mourn than go out and see Jesus. See, that's interesting. Because when God's timing doesn't seem to line up with your expectation, have you ever seen that same behavior, that fickle behavior that is happening in Mary's heart? Have you ever seen that happen in your heart? When, God, I prayed. You didn't answer. I'll show you. I won't go to church for two months. I'll show you, God. I'll stop tithing. I'll show you. We get this fickle attitude, but then when everything's going our way and the roller coaster's back up on the top and the ride of life is so good, wow, we're here every week, we're giving, we want to serve, we want to volunteer, but then when it seems as if God's timing is skewed and it's not right, then we start being fickle and we start moving away from him and we don't want to get close to him. Like we have a grudge to uphold. See how quick you can go from living as second to now wanting to be first? like what Mary did, and like what many of us have done, I want to encourage you today. Don't let your loyalty from God slip based on your understanding of his timing. You'll understand more about that today. But continue with the story. When Martha went to go see Jesus, and later, by the way, Mary did come, but she comes at the request of Jesus. That's interesting. But Martha went out on her own to find Jesus and to talk with him. But Mary and Martha both went to Jesus with the same basic attitude. Great! Now you decide to show up. Right? It's like, God, where were you a year ago when I really needed you? Where were you when I was in that situation, you know, six months ago? That might be a better understanding of the way Martha and Mary's heart felt. Great! Now you decide to come. After he's already dead, after it's already gone away, after, you know, the water is passed under the bridge for your life. Great, God, now you want to do something in my life. And that's kind of how they felt because they both said the exact same words independent of one another. In John chapter 11, verse 21 and 32, look at what they said. If, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary and Martha have a very narrow understanding of God and his timing. At this particular moment, all they can see is, I have a need, Jesus, you should line up with my need. Instead of, I have a need, God, what is it that you want me to do? They wanted to get Jesus to line up with their need. They were trying to get, they were trying to really pull him into their timeline and what was going on. But what you need to understand today is they thought that Jesus was late, but you need to know God's never late, period. Now, obviously, we have the hindsight of being able to read the story. But although they thought he was late, he's never late. And that, I mean, there's a huge, big, massive period on the end of that. And if you'll allow me just for a moment, because I'm a hockey fan, right? I'm an NHL hockey guy. 
I like hockey. It has three periods. And when I said that word, it causes me to think about, you know, hockey for a moment. So just bear with me, all right? Maybe your sport has four quarters. Maybe your sport has two halves. I don't know, maybe whatever your sport has. But my sport in hockey, we have three periods, each of them lasting 20 minutes apiece. There was a game recently where the Colorado Avalanche were playing the San Jose Sharks. And the Sharks have been leading the entire game, right? All the way up to 58 and a half minutes, they were leading three to two, right? At 58 and a half minutes, Colorado takes the shot and boom, man, they score again. Now it's three to three, right? Awesome, right, okay. Awesome for you Colorado Avalanche fans, right? Boo hiss. All right, there's my, there's my two cents. All right, anyways, it's not about my loyalties that fall with the Blues. Now, they score and they tie the game. You can imagine. I mean, Colorado fans are just going ecstatic. It's amazing. The time clock is ticking down. We're in the last moments of the game. Colorado scores again, and they win the game, right? Four to three. Amazing. Can you imagine, though, 58 and a half minutes in? Can you imagine what the stadium, if it's a home game, how the Colorado fans might be thinking to themselves what many of you would think if it's a packed house? Hey, we better go get to the car. You know, our guys are probably going to lose. Let's, let's get to the car so we're not stuck in all the traffic. So here's your team. They're playing on the ice, and people are streaming out of the stands going, mm, you guys are going to lose again. That's the way it's going to go. Right? And many people get out. Let's say a third of the people, a quarter of the people, they get out. And then all of a sudden, the horn goes off. Right? And they've, they've scored. And so now, people are stuck in the aisleways. They don't want to go back to their seats. No, we don't want to do that. Because who knows what's going to happen. And then your team wins. Can you imagine that night on the TV? You go home and you're watching it. And the sports announcer is going, well, if you, lo- if you left the game early... If you gave up hope in the last seconds, man, you missed a great ending. The team won. And then they go to one of the team players. If I'm a team player, one of the first words out of my mouth wants to be this. Why did you give up on us? Don't give up on us. In the last seconds, great things can happen. And you know what? That's God's heart today. God's heart is your timing doesn't match my timing. Don't give up on me. I'm still at work doing something when you can't figure it out, when you don't think it's possible. In the last seconds, in the last moments uh, where something needs to be brought back to life, I can move. When you think the bell has rung and time is over and there's no way to win the game, I can still win it. Don't give up on me. You can hear. You can hear God. As he's, Jesus, as he's standing there with, with Mary and Martha, and they're saying to him those words like, if you only would have shown up, he could be healed. I can almost hear inside of his heart, don't give up on me. Don't give up on me. See, no matter what you're facing, God isn't ignorant to your situation. In verse 5, he clearly says, I love Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Jesus loves you. It's out of that deep love that he even shows up in this situation. It's out of his deep love for you that he shows up in your life. It just might not be in the timing that you think it is. So if you've got anger or you've got resentment towards God because you don't think he showed up when he was supposed to, my challenge to you today is lay that down. Lay down that resentment. Lay down that anger. Lay down that unforgiveness that you're harboring towards God because your interpretation of when he was supposed to be there didn't happen in your way. You're not the keeper of time. God is the keeper of perfect time. 
And that's something that you're just going to have to let soak into your heart. And as it soaks in, I guarantee you, you should find your way to your knees saying, God, forgive me for holding something against you that I never should have. You were perfect in your timing. The story goes on to say that Jesus insisted to go to the tomb. And then when he gets to the tomb, he insists that the stone gets rolled away. And he did, you need to hear what Martha's next words were to Jesus when he said, roll that stone away. This is what she said to him in verse 39. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, Lazarus, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. What is that telling you? Even though Jesus has shown up, she still isn't at a place to believe that he is going to resurrect her brother from the dead. Martha and Mary, they knew that Jesus could heal if he would have shown up before Lazarus died. That's their interpretation of timing. But they had no way to fathom or evidently to grasp the understanding that Jesus wasn't there to mourn. Jesus was there to heal in his perfect timing. Their formula was Jesus can heal Get Jesus here. Lazarus is made whole. But Mary and Martha realized very quickly, God doesn't operate on their timing, and they are completely out of control. One of the big things for you and me is we've got to be able to allow the Holy Spirit today to begin to alter the way that we see the world around us. If you just look at the world around you and your circumstances and your struggles and the things that you're fighting with today, if you're just looking at it from your human eyes, then you're trying to interpret it from your human ability to keep time and your human ability to control things. And I'm telling you today, Jesus is looking at your life and he's seeing dead things coming to life. He's seeing things that you've never even knew that were in the tomb. He's calling them out. He's calling giftings and he's calling, you know, abilities and he's calling faith. And he's calling obedience. And he's calling passion. And he's wanting to stand at the tomb of your heart right now. And he's calling for these things that come forth. And you don't even know that they're there. You have no idea that it's even happening. Because your mind and your eyes are fixated on a whole different agenda with a whole different timing today. And if that's where you're at, you're going to miss out on all kinds of stuff. That's allowing your soul to lead you versus your spirit to lead you. You're wrapped up in life going, what your emotions feel about something. If you let your emotions that are all getting stirred up lead you, it's going to lead you to a bad place. If you're just allowing your mind and what your mind can conjure up and what your mind can think to lead you, it's going to lead you to destruction. If you're just following your own humanistic will today, your will is going to lead you to a place of death. But you're going to have to figure out how to quiet those things or you're going to miss Jesus. That's what Mary was doing. Her emotions were all stirred up. Her will was all engaged. She would rather mourn in her house than go out and see Jesus. Some of you are here in this church right now. And you would rather in your own way mourn about things that God has not done. How he didn't show up. You'd rather mourn in your rebellion to actually humble yourself at an altar like this. In an atmosphere like this. And really, truly experience the power and the presence of Jesus. And if that's your response, Jesus will walk into your town. And he'll walk right back out. And you will have missed him. You'll miss him today. You'll miss him in this morning. But he'll keep calling you. He'll keep coming back to that. But you will miss him unless you're also like Mary. And when she heard the voice of the Lord, 
this, the sheer obedience overcame her. And she went out to meet him. Let your eyes be changed. Bring your heart before him. Go, God, alter the way I see the world. Help me to see your timing at work. Help me to value that. Help me to appreciate that. Help me to surrender to it. Help me to have obedience to your timing. Because your timing is perfect. If you want to live as second and Jesus living as first out of this passage, you're also going to have to wrestle with the, and come to the uh, grips with that God's agenda is bigger than yours. Yeah, God ultimately did raise Lazarus from the dead. That's an awesome story, especially in America and in 2014, where we don't see that kind of stuff, we don't hear about that kind of stuff. That's amazing. But if that's all you get out of the story, you're missing the best of the story. How do I know that? You're like, wow, Jeff, that's a bold statement. It seems to me someone getting raised from the dead, that's a big part of the story. Yeah, but you're missing the best of it. Here's the reason why. Jesus brought Lazarus back to life, but you need to know, Lazarus still died some point in his life. Lazarus isn't on this earth right now. If he was, he'd be the guest speaker preaching on this passage. Lazarus isn't some freak of nature walking around doing TV shows like, yeah, I'm Lazarus from the New, from the, the New Testament. I saw Jesus do some pretty radical stuff. He healed me one time. I don't know what the deal is. I've never died since then. So Lazarus, guys, by the way, he dies. What does that say to you? That portion of the story, that miracle that Jesus does at that moment is temporary. That means there's something else in this story that lasts, that transcends generations. Something in this story that penetrates the heart of man even today in 2014 that can radically transform your life. That's God's agenda inside of the story. So what is God's agenda? To really grab it, you'd have to go back to maybe one of the more boring parts of the story in verse 4. It says that when he, Jesus, we read this earlier, when he heard that story about Lazarus, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, look at it. Look, here it is. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. That's God's agenda. God's agenda in telling his son, wait, was that he was going to bring glory to the Son so that for generations to come, they might look at Jesus and go, you are God. That for generations to come, they might bow down and give their lives to the one who came to give his life on the cross and to rise again from the dead. That the whole world might look and they might see that Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are in complete control. You have complete authority. You have complete power that really, truly, all things are possible through you. It's more about Jesus and bringing glory to the Son than it is about the need of Lazarus to come and to rise again. God just uses that, but Lazarus dies later. The miracle has a timeline and it weighs off and it's gone. But the story of Jesus lives on for generation and generation to come and for the ages to come beyond us. And it's our job right now to submit our lives to him and live for him so the next generation might grow up and know Jesus. That's the thing that lives forever. That's the agenda of God in the midst of this story. And when you start seeing God's agenda, it starts radically changing your perspective. But you need to know, some, you need to know this. 
that at times, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your scenarios, that you're trying to figure out, God, what's your agenda? Because this is painful what I'm walking through. God, what's your agenda? Where's your timing? Because this is difficult. Sometimes you'll never understand God's timing or his agenda until you get somewhere on the backside of the story. Sometimes you just can't put all the pieces together. The one thing I love about Mary and Martha is that although they believed, and they only had faith to believe, that Jesus, you could heal our brother if you just would have shown up, they never turned their back on Jesus being the Son of God. Listen to what Martha tells Jesus when he's asking her a couple of questions in verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, I have always believed in you. You are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. You know what's so powerful about that? Is that although God didn't move in her timing and in her agenda, she didn't, she didn't turn and run. She didn't, you know, give up hope in Jesus. Some of us, we've done that. God didn't answer our prayer. God didn't move in the time that we think that he ought to move. And we turned our back on him. And we walked away from him. No, not Mary and Martha. They might have been confused. They might have got angry for a moment. They, they may not have been able to put all the pieces together. But Jesus is still God. Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is still moving in a powerful way. There's a, I mean, there's a powerful point that you've got to grab a hold of in this passage. And that is, in spite of the fact that Mary and Martha didn't have faith to believe that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead, guess who was raised from the dead? Time out. I thought, I thought we had to have all the faith. It's all about God's agenda. It's more about God's agenda. Sometimes we claim we've got the faith for something. You know what that all we're really doing is? We're really saying, God, you need to line up behind my agenda. That's what we're really saying many times. Well, i got the faith to believe for this. What we're really saying is, God, and when, when you line up with my timing, then the world will be perfect, God. But in spite of the fact that they didn't have the faith to believe. No, don't roll that stone away. The wind's blowing this direction. It's going to stink. Now, maybe if the wind was blowing the other direction, Jesus, go ahead and roll the stone away. Because then the smell will go that way. In spite of the fact they didn't have the faith to do it, Jesus did it anyways. Why? Because it was about God's agenda. Sometimes God's agenda is bigger than your agenda. Well, let me rephrase that. Every time. God's agenda is bigger than your agenda. I want to challenge you, though. Don't beat yourself up because maybe you don't have faith to believe God for the impossible at times of your life. We're human. We get wrapped up in some things that they, they blind us. But I want to challenge you to be asking the Holy Spirit to stir that kind of faith inside of you, though. Because wouldn't this have been a powerful story if, they, if Jesus starts showing up and Martha runs out to the edge of town, Jesus, you came. That's awesome. Come on, Jesus, let's go to the tomb right now. And she marches Jesus back to the tomb, and then she tells her a couple of her buddies, hey, guys, roll the, roll the stone away. Jesus is here. Anything is possible. That would have been a radical change to the story. That's what Jesus wants to do now in 2014 in your life. You have hindsight you have the ability to see God's word. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. 
Jesus wants you and me to walk to the tombs of the things that are dead, that are part of his agenda that he wants to bring to life. And he wants us to couple with him and find our ways to altars like this, kneeling down and going, let your will be done, not mine. Let your agenda be accomplished in my life, not mine. Let your timing rule me, not mine. And that means no matter what comes your way. I have a friend that's going to share her story right now. She's seen curveballs thrown at her left and right past year or so, a couple years. And she's maintained the faith and the obedience of just following God. It hasn't been easy. She's maintained it. She's come to a grip of understanding God's timing and God's agenda as something that I felt like you would highly benefit from. I want you to hear the story of my friend, Amber Renicky. I grew up in a wonderful, godly home. Many of you know my parents, Bob and Connie Wine. They served this church for 33 years. They continue to serve the district. When I was a little girl, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and I'm so deeply grateful for the foundation that my childhood and growing up years gave me. In college, God wanted to deepen my faith. And he and I had a difference of opinion about one aspect of my future. So we battled about it. But one night, I finally came to the point where I admitted that his ways were higher than my ways and his thoughts were higher than my thoughts. And that I was going to trust his will for my life more than I trusted mine. So through some tears and pain, he became not just my Savior but my Lord. Years later, I met, fell in love, and married my husband, Scott. Our romance and engagement and wedding was everything I could have dreamed and hoped for. A little more than a year later, we welcomed our son, Isaac, into the world, and life was good. It was about a little more than a year later than after that that Scott decided to change careers. One of the positions that he took ended poorly, and caused him a great deal of pain. So a few months later, he decided to make another shift and pursue a career in the field of medicine. For the first 15 months, he lived in Hastings, and he came home on Saturdays. In 2010, he returned, and that was probably the first time that I noticed something different. I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't identify it. I just chalked it up to... We're back together. It's a new home. Didn't know. But things didn't really improve. Um, in fact, they just gradually got darker. In 2011, I began to seek the Lord for some answers. I saw the symptoms, but I didn't know the cause. He didn't give me specific answers to my questions, but he did teach me some things during that time that I needed. 2012 continued to deepen and darken, but I firmly believe that God was with us, that he was going to see us through, that it was going to be okay. I 
at the end of 2012, God gave us the opportunity to potentially adopt a little baby. And that was something that we both wanted and prayed for, and even Isaac had prayed for. We felt like God was in it. But it was confusing because it didn't seem like the time was ideal. We were struggling. I, I couldn't put all the pieces together. But I trusted. In December of 2012, Scott graduated with his psychiatric nurse practitioner degree, and two days later, Elijah was born. Two huge blessings. School was finally over, and we were able to welcome a beautiful baby boy into our home to love. The spring of 2013 took another sharp, dark turn. I had one friend who knew what we had been dealing with and knew what we were dealing with at the time. But besides that, it was dependency on God to get me through each day and night. There was a delicate balance at that point um, and going forward of loving and protecting my boys, work, and Scott. That summer, we sought godly counsel, and it was at that time that I felt that God was asking some things of me, hard things. A few examples was that one, I felt like I was to ask Scott to leave, and that was not something I wanted. I love Scott deeply. I wanted us to be together. I wanted us to fight this together. But I asked two men that I trusted to go with me. It was a plea to Scott to get help. In the days that followed, when I didn't see change, I knew that God was asking me to report our situation to Nebraska Children's Home. Elijah's adoption, although close to being final, was not. But I knew that what he was asking me potentially meant giving up my baby. Because I didn't know how they would respond. The night before, I wept and cried before the Lord. I didn't know if I had the strength to walk it out. The next day, when I left their office, I knew I had obeyed. And I trusted. The days that followed... I didn't think things could get worse, but they did. A few days later, Scott asked if he could come back, and I didn't see him doing the things he needed. I didn't see him getting the help that he needed, but I felt that God gently nudged me that it was okay. And the weeks that followed, there were ups and downs. Um, I did see Scott trying, and it gave me hope.
but on September 16, 2013, Scott took his life. Everything I had hoped for, believed in, and fought for with every fiber in my being had died. I was a widow, a widow with two little boys. Never in my dreams had I ever imagined my life would look like this. I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if I could walk it out. Scott and I had always been partners in life, partners in parenting. I didn't know if I could do it alone. But in the weeks and months that followed, God covered me in his presence. He didn't take away the pain or the grief, but he walked with me each day, and he still does. There are things I don't understand, questions I don't have answers for. Maybe I will understand when I see him face to face, but probably not in this lifetime. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers in the ways that we want. Sometimes he doesn't bring healing when we cry out for healing. But I knew in my heart of hearts that God had not changed. And I could still trust him. Even though my circumstances had changed, he had not. My feet were firmly planted on the solid rock of Jesus. I realize my story doesn't end with God putting all of the shattered pieces of my life back together. But know that my story isn't over. God is still directing my paths, and he's still very much in control. And I will trust him. My name is Amber Renneke, and I am second. That's what I loved about Mary and Martha, is although the timing and the agenda wasn't theirs, they never gave up hope in the Son of God. And today, let that message ring clear in your heart. Amber is another example of a new lifer who, if she could, would go back and change a bunch of different things. But in the end, Jesus, you are still on the throne. God, you have not changed. You are still faithful You are still true. She is hearing literally what Martha and Mary heard that day when Jesus said, roll the the stone away, and he yelled into the tomb. And he shouted into the tomb. And he called, said, Lazarus, come out. Today, Jesus is standing at at the door, the tomb of your own heart, of your own life. And he's yelling, he's shouting into the heart. And he's calling forth for purpose of life to rise up in you again. For the joy of living to rise up in you again. He's calling for a fresh passion after him to rise up inside of you again. He's calling out and he's going, 
be, have a generous spirit. He's going out and he's saying, trust me. He's yelling into your heart and he's going, have faith in me regardless of the timing and what you think should be happening right now. Have faith in me. Jesus is standing there and his agenda in the end of this story is to restore hope into the hearts of man that no matter what you see, no matter what you feel, God is still on the throne. God is still the king. So today, what do you hear Jesus shouting into the, into the tomb of your own heart? What, what has been dead for a while that he wants to restore? What's laying in there that you have no idea of that he's wanting to bring to life and start using as a testimony of his glory in such a powerful way? One way or the other, his agenda for your life isn't just to make you happy. His agenda for your life is that you would live in such a way that brings him glory. Why don't we stand today? Jesus, as we move into this time of responding to you, and Lord, people are sensing and you're stirring in their heart right now. May we hear your voice, Lord, calling out our name. For some of us, the first move we need to make is to go, I'm the one dead in the tomb and I need to come alive. I need to put my hope in Jesus. For others of us, God, there's things that are laying there dormant that we knew nothing of, that you're, you're shouting at. You're wanting to bring them to life. But it's going to take an act of surrender and obedience on our part for that death to start coming to life. But I know today, Lord, you're wanting to heal us. Of, our, of the offenses that we hold in our hearts from the past where we didn't trust your timing, we didn't trust your agenda. But Lord, I also know that you're wanting to stir great faith and great hope in us, that we'd, we would be people that would not see just with physical eyes, but we would see with spiritual eyes. And we would, Lord, have a better value, appreciation, and desire to obey your timing and your agenda, that we would live as second, that you would live as first. God, may you call us to yourself. May we hear your voice. And like Lazarus came walking out of the tombs, may we find ourselves walking to an altar or bowing our hearts as we stand and we worship you over these next few moments. That our lives, our lives, in the end would bring glory to you. That our life would shout your name. Lord, for the days that you give us to live on this earth, May you, God, may you get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.